the ability to recognize everything a team or a player is doing wrong, coaches think that makes them a good coach. That doesn't make you a good coach. That makes you a good parent in the stands. Okay. The ability to identify the one thing that will make the biggest difference and to influence that, that makes you a good coach. Welcome to the Coaches Club Podcast, powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training. I'm your host, Luke Gromer, and every week we're bringing you conversations with coaches and leaders in sport that will help you grow as an effective teacher and transformational leader so that you and your team can reach your potential. Coaches, I'm excited to welcome Tyler Costin to the podcast. Tyler has taught the game of basketball to thousands of athletes as a director for PGC Basketball and now has transitioned into coaching coaches to help them become more effective through savvy performance. Tyler has played, coached, or consulted at every level of basketball. He's a learner and a teacher. His approach to the game is innovative and unbound by tradition. Today we talk about how coaches can be more savvy, the importance of simplifying, adopting a style of play, teaching in layers, and a three-step teaching methodology that you can use in your practices. As always, if you enjoy the episode and want to get the free podcast notes, go to coachesclubpod.com to get the notes. And I just opened up the second round of free book clubs covering the Coach's Guide to Teaching. I'd love to have you hop into one of the book clubs either on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central Time or Sundays at 2 p.m. Central Time. The book clubs are four weeks long and dive into one chapter from the book. This past week, Doug Lamov made a guest appearance for a Q&A slash film session that was absolutely phenomenal. Be on the lookout for that Q&A with Doug as a bonus episode on the podcast soon. Spots for the first round of book clubs filled up fast, so go to cgtbookclubs.com or click the link in the show details to learn more or sign up for free for the next round of book clubs. The book clubs begin the week of August 16th, so sign up before spots are gone. A quick disclaimer before the episode begins. The first part of the conversation, Tyler was traveling in a car, and you'll hear a bit of background noise. I did my best to edit that section. Now to my conversation with Tyler Costin. Enjoy the episode. Tyler, would love to just start here and give you a chance to uh, explain the, the savvy name and the acronym and how it can help coaches. Yeah, man, Luke, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You know, it's, it's good to be a part of the Coaches Club. I haven't been a part of many clubs in my life. I was kind of always excluded. So I feel like I'm in the inner circle. Um, and I kind of like, I haven't been a coach for a long time. So I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the title. I, I would say I, I retired from coaching about 13 years ago. Um, and uh, I just get to teach now, which is great. There's a lot less pressure. And, um, you know, I haven't had a loss in a long time. The only loss I take is in pickup basketball these days. And uh, those are becoming more and more frequent as I get older. Uh, so I'm learning humility, which is, which is a good lesson to learn. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So you, you, I, I didn't even answer your question, which was a great question. So what am I doing to savvy, right? Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You, sometimes you have to ask me questions twice. So feel free to, to interrupt and redirect. Um, really, I just like have this heart to help coaches grow in wisdom and, you know, savvy Italian for a wise person or a sage. Um, and as I run into so many young coaches specifically, not, not just young, but mostly young coaches, they need to grow in wisdom and they need to grow in wisdom quickly. I really want to help coaches because coaches 
today have all the information they want. They've got YouTube videos. They've got every, you know, coach's clinic notes that they want. But what they don't have is application. And I think wisdom is information applied, right? Is, is, is information simplified. And so, you know, that's what, that's what savvy is, is I just want to let coaches know they're doing it right or if they're doing it right and give them feedback. And so, you know, the, the essence savvy is what a lot of young coaches need is they need to actually simplify their message. You know, I've, I've gone to, you know, high school practices, I've gone to new practices and a high school practice plan. They've got two pages of information. Uh, but when you go to a Duke practice plan, he's got three things on the page and the best coaches are the simplest coaches. And I think coaches could really improve if they just simplify their message so that it can be real, real clear. You know, the, the A is for adversity, that you really only grow in wisdom when you go through adversity. And a lot of people want things easy. A lot of coaches, you know, when they have a losing season or an altercation with a parent or a challenging um, athlete they can't do to, they tend to shy away from those things. They don't interact with the parent or they kind of put the player to the side or they, uh, they go to a situation that might be more advantageous for them. And, you know, the, the savvy message is like, we want to run towards adversity, not run away from adversity. If we see something hard, we want to do it because everything you want's on the other side of hard. Um, and that's where you really learn your lessons. You know, very few of the lessons that we think back on that we learn as individuals or as coaches, um, we didn't learn them in the good times. <laughs> the lessons are taught in the hard times. And so, you know, welcoming adversity is uh, part of the message for coaches. Um, the, v, the V stands for victory because coaches, we get so caught up in our record and our wins and our losses. And success often gets defined for us by society or by an athletic director, by our record. Whereas the most successful coaches actually define their own victories and they define victories in what they can control. So a victory wouldn't be to be win the game, but a victory would be, did we get half of our possessions in transition? A victory would be, did we communicate defensively? Um, a victory would be, did we uh, have maximum effort on our first three steps on our sprints? Um, a victory would be, uh, did, did, we, um, did we turn down mediocre shots? So if we can start counting what actually counts, then we'll have the victories that matter. Um, because a, a coach can go through their entire career, have a great win-loss, uh, record, but have no joy and have had no impact. And I would say they weren't victorious. Um, and so really identifying what is a victory and you'll have a lot more joy <laughs> if you pick your own victories, as opposed to let someone else define it for you. Um, and lastly, the I, um, the I stands for identity and really just wanting to share with coaches that they're more than their record. They're more than a coach, right? They have identity and value um, beyond that and really help coaches get back to the why of why they're coaching. Um, I mean, if, if someone were to fast forward to the end of their life, most coaches don't have their record on their tombstone. They have the stories of who they impacted or what type of person that they were. And so really trying to remind coaches to build an identity and a value that is beyond their success or failure in coaching. Um, because it's, it's sad. I think, you know, anyone that's been around sports long enough knows, like, sometimes the most successful coaches are the most just sad people <laughs> and, the, and the most just, like, ornery people. And it's like, man, have some joy. And I think a lot of that comes because 
the identity is so inconsistent, right? Like if I perform well, I'm worth value. If I don't perform well, I'm not worth value. I'd say their identity is just clouded. Um, and just knowing that, you know, their value comes from who they are, not what they do. Um, and then I think you wouldn't have people leaving coaching left and right, you know, being burnt out. Um, they just have improper identity. So, so that's what savvy is. And I think that if, if people can simplify, run towards adversity, define their own victory and have a rooted identity, I think that they'll grow in wisdom, have a greater impact and have a more joyful experience in sport. That's really good. I mean, there's so many things in there that are so, so true, so powerful, you know, just especially what you talked about at the end of separating our identity from the outcome of a right. game right. <laughs> and, and to the, just the importance of like, we can't help our players do that if we haven't right. done it first. And that's such a good point. You know, it's, I, I reflect back on being an athlete and in high school, that's where my career ended, mm-hmm. but it's really easy when, especially at that age to have your identity wrapped up in a sport and performance. And mm-hmm. you know, I think most coaches, they don't want their players to have that because they see the, the negative aspects of that. But then if we haven't done that first, like we're just not going to be able to help them do it. And so that really resonated mm-hmm. deeply to kind of pull on That's really good. some, some other threads that you talked about in there. I like to focus on teaching and yeah. you kind of talked about really it's, it's knowing how to apply all this knowledge we get. And so right. my question is, what do you typically see as some of the most common struggles for coaches in their teaching and what do they need to learn or change to overcome mm-hmm. those? Yeah. Most coaches chase rabbits and you know, it's, it's, the, it's the old adage, if you chase five rabbits, you catch none or any variation of that. And I can't, so the, what, I, what I love is through the savvy performance that I've been doing a lot of consulting with coaches. And so I just get to talk to coaches that want to get better. And I just start by asking them questions and I ask them what they're struggling with and what they're working on. And I have to interrupt them every single time because they might spend 45 minutes talking about what they're working on. And, you know, they're chasing so many rabbits. And so I just always come back to this question. I'm like, if you lined up your 12 players outside of this office and we brought them in one by one and we asked them, what, what's the most important thing in your transition defense? Would we get 12 of, of the same answers? And no coach says yes. I say, then you're chasing rabbits. You know, you're, you're, you haven't simplified enough. You haven't actually taught. Um, you know, there's a massive difference between what a coach knows and what their team can do. And, and that difference is teaching. We don't have a we don't have a, a problem with coaches' knowledge. Coaches have a lot of knowledge, and 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 they know a lot of things. The gap is what their players can do it, which is it just always blows my mind when you see coaches on the sideline like getting so frustrated with their players' inability to execute something. Right, like that's on you, coach. <laughs> like that's on you. Like you, you either you shouldn't be getting frustrated or you should teach it, right? It's one of the, there's no, there's no other option, right? Like either they, either they can execute it or they can't. Um, and at the end of the day, it's on you. If they can't execute it, it's on you. And so don't get frustrated with them, teach it better. Um, you know, I think that's, that's really just what it comes down to. And, uh, and it really just comes down to simplicity. The best teams 
do something well. The best coaches simplify and everybody knows what they're good at, including the players, the parents, and the, and the, and the coaching staff. And you know, when, when you have that alignment, you can actually move forward. When, when you don't have alignment, it's really hard to move forward. Yeah, I think there's a lot of power in what you're just saying about simplifying and Mm-hmm. You know, that's been one of the things I've been intentional about with coaching this fourth grade team is I've just got to simplify and I'm okay. If there's some things that go uncoached, you know, players are making mistakes that I just push to the side because we're going to focus on these things that I've deemed to be the most important, uh, but it's challenging. It's really challenging to do. I, I also really liked what you said about just asking the question, if, you asked your team, you know, what's the most important thing for us to do in transition defense or this specific phase of the game to see if all of their answers would be the same. And my follow-up question to that would be how, how can coaches do a better job of helping their teams adopt a style of play? Because I think that's really part of what yep. is at the core of that is we're going to yes. adopt a style of play as a team. So how do we do that? What do our practices need to look like to adopt a style of play that actually shows up in the games? Yeah. Great. I'm glad you asked. So that's why that's the other reason. So the heart of savvy is what I shared with you, the principles, but that's why for basketball specifically, I've created lock left defense, race and space offense and savvy shooting um, because I want coaches to have a playbook and, you know, most coaches um, they get a playbook and it's a set of plays. And what I've created uh, for the playbook is a set of principles. And if players can learn principles, then they can go and play for any coach at any level. They can play fast. They can play slow. They can play, you know, when they're more athletic, when they're less athletic, um, they can play, you know, in a FIBA style, they can play in a, you know, high school style. So that's really the goal is to teach principles over plays. Um, and, and that's, that's the, you know, like the 10 layers of the lock left defense. Yeah. They fit together so that a team can be successful and win at the highest levels, but each one is a principle that makes a good defender. Um, you know, the ability to influence the ball, the ability to take away a shot, the ability to, you know, help on a drive, the ability to rebound, like it just teaches it in layers. Um, and hopefully if I've done my job right, and I'm continuing to try to refine it, it in, in, in order of what happens most in games, right? So if you just go teach layer one, you'll hopefully see what happens most in games or the same thing, you know, for the offense, right. You know, the, of race and space offense, the first layer teaches how to play in transition, race the ball. Um, and so we could spend a whole season in fourth grade on, uh, you know, how to, how to play in transition. Well, that's what happens most in basketball. So if that's all they learn in their fourth grade season, good on you. Um, so that's kind of a, that's, I think how coaches could do that just like by order of importance, teach it. Yeah. That's powerful principles over plays. I like that a lot. And, and then the other thing I want to get your thoughts on, you mentioned teaching in layers, yeah. Why is that so important? You talked about starting with what happens the most, but then just from a learning standpoint and a teaching standpoint, what are the benefits to layering in your teaching? Yeah, I, I would say there's a whole bunch of them, but let me give one benefit to the player and one benefit to the teacher or the coach. Okay? The, the benefit to the player is it allows them to direct their focus on one thing at a time. 
uh, a player or a learner is going to get deep work or experience deliberate practice when they're able to direct their focus and attention to a thing. Um, one of the worst things that we can do as a coach is give concurrent feedback. And it's so hard because I was fighting it today. I was, uh, you know, I've got um, a group of six to eight year olds, including my kids, my two daughters and all their friends that I teach every Wednesday. And it was so, I was fighting it all day, like not to give concurrent feedback. Um, Lila passed the ball to Jacoby. Like I wanted to say that, but the moment I said that, they stopped and they froze, which is one of the worst things that they can do in basketball. Um, and so layers allow players to focus and layers force coaches to restrain themselves. <laughs> because as a coach, I know all 10 layers or 20 layers or you know infinite layers, and I bounce between them as quick as my mind can, can recognize the errors. Um, and, and recognition of errors is not a skill. And coaches think it is, right? The ability to recognize everything a team or a player is doing wrong, coaches think that makes them a good coach. That doesn't make you a good coach. That makes you a good parent in the stands, okay? The ability to identify the one thing that will make the biggest difference and to influence that, that makes you a good coach. Like beauty's in the rejection of things as a coach, right? Not coaching a whole bunch of things. Can you identify, can you reject it? So I'll give a quick example of this that you got me going. Um, I got to observe Greg Popovich coach the USA men's national team for maybe five years ago now, um, getting ready for the last Olympics. And um, he, I'll quote him. You can bleep it out. He swore on this one, but he, he was, um, he was working with these guys. And it was the beginning of a scrimmage and it was just like rat ball. It was terrible. They were jacking up bad shots. People weren't playing defense. It did not represent you know, USA basketball well. And it went on for like 20 minutes. I'm on the side, like losing my marbles. Like, aren't you going to fix this? I could, I could tell them what they're doing wrong right now. I thought you were a good coach, you know, coach Popovich. I'm getting all mad. And he lets it go on uh, like 20 minutes longer than I ever would. And then he steps out on there on the floor and he said, new rule. He said, if you want to, if you want to wear this flag, if you want to play for USA basketball, you only shoot shots that are wide ass open. He said, if you're not wide ass open, you're not shooting it. And then he stepped back. And for the duration of the scrimmage, another 30 minutes or something, he just kept screaming that wide open. Why it's not wide open? That's a wide open shot. One of the best coaches on the planet said three words for 40 minutes, right? And the game got better. And so I didn't get to talk to him afterwards, but it taught me a lesson that like he was spending 20 minutes observing, observing. He's like, okay, I here's all the things are wrong, but I'm just observing it. I'm going to see what's the one thing that I can do. What's the lever I can pull to make the biggest impact. And for him, it was just shot generation and shot selection. He's like, okay, what's a language they're going to understand, right? What's, what's, what's going to hit them. And so he swore at him. Right. Um, and, and the game got better. I'm like, that's master teaching, right? That's master teaching right there. So beauty is in the rejection of things and narrow your focus. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's really good. I love that story. And I think the other part of it that's so powerful of what he did, hey, we're only going for wide ass open shots. Then, mm. like you said, that's the only thing he was giving feedback on. His that's intervention, good, and you didn't say this, but I'm assuming his intervention when he stopped them and gave that feedback was probably like 30 seconds to a minute long. He said that. Less. Yeah, and then less. they played. And that's mm -hmm. the only thing he gave feedback on. Yeah. So I, I just don't. I just think that's so important for coaches to hone in on yeah. is 
can you keep your interventions really short, which you can mm-hmm. only do if you know what you're observing for and you observe carefully mm-hmm. like you did. And mm-hmm. then can you give the intervention, get them back playing and stay focused on that as the coach? Yep. I, I yep. just think that's so, so, so powerful. It, like you said, if, if we want to see learning and to avoid concurrent feedback where we're just hurting their performance by throwing so many things at them. Absolutely. And like to, to make it real practical for a coach of any sport, I'll just, I'll, I'll share with them the framework that I use with coaches um, when I'm teaching them how to teach a thing, a layer. Okay. Um, it's a three-step process and your entire practice might be this three-step process, which is objective reads technique, objective reads technique. So whatever the heck it is you're trying to get better at, like coaches all the time ask me, Oh, we got to become a better rebounding team. And they say, can you give me a rebounding drill? so that we can be a better rebounding team. And I just say, if, if you need a rebounding drill to be a better rebounding team, you'll never be a good rebounding team. Because what that tells me is, you're only gonna focus on rebounding during that drill time. And you think that's gonna make you a good rebounding team, false. The, old, the best rebounding teams are, just like you said, hitting that one thing, rebound, 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 entire practice. Like, cause that's their thing that they got to be good. And then once you master that thing, then you can layer on another thing. You just have to decide what you are going to give up. Right. So when you go objective first, it's being very clear to your staff, your players and yourself, this is the most important thing. This is what we're going to get better at, whatever the objective is. So like, for example, the layer one of the lock left is we we're going to chase the ball across the half court line on the left-hand side of the floor. That's our objective. I don't even tell them how to do it. I say, as a team, achieve this objective. That's how you win this. And when you give an objective, you immediately play a game. Objective equals game. Objective doesn't equal breakdown drill. Objective doesn't equal technique. Objective equals game. You give them an objective, let them play, observe. Don't start teaching until you've observed them attempt to achieve an objective. You don't have good ammunition like the Popovich story. Then once you've observed them playing the actual game of whatever sport you're playing and you have some information, then you can identify the reads because most improvement can come from reads or decision-making, not technique. And that's where coaches trip themselves up. They try to get um, improvement through technique when actually improvement can come way faster through reads and decision-making. So you can improve your shooting percentage faster through shot selection than you can becoming a better shooter, right? Like it'll take us, it'll take us a year to make a player significantly better as a shooter, but we can improve our team's field goal percentage just to get them to not take bad shots anymore <laughs> and just take more layups, right? So that's, that's a, a very specific, I think, easy example of reads impact results more than technique. Yet most coaches, when we're like, oh, I got to rebound better, they go, here's how you box out, right? And they even teach the technique wrong. And reads come from guided defense. So you set up guided defense, breakdown, small-sided games um, with A-B decisions to train your reads. And then the third thing that you do to teach something would actually be your technique. And technique should always be last. And it comes from the most observation. So then you identify the piece of technique that can impact 
their success, achieving the objective. And they always fit technique into reads. If you work on technique separate from reads, it's not going to have game transfer. That's why things work in practice drills that don't transfer over to games very often. Right. So then you go to technique, use some sort of, um, you know, some sort of drill or whatnot for your, for your reads. But when you do your reads, one of the best things that you can do um, on your reads is to teach it in progressions. So progress up. This is where block practice might happen, right? You progress up from just super slow motion in space, feeling a movement or a new technique better. And then you progress up to doing it um, in space at a basket. Then you progress up to doing it against defense. And you progress up, right? So you, you would prog use progressions for technique. Objectives use games, read, use guided defense, and technique uses progressions. But all three of those, um, all three of those, those steps in the framework, you're hitting the same thing whether it be lock left defense or boxing out or rebounding better, whatever. Um, but then everyone on your team will know what the objective is. And so if you line them up outside your office, they're all going to say the same thing. Yeah, that's good. I think that's important. I like, I like your process for going through it too, is give them the objective, let them try to figure it out and then provide some intervention. Once you've seen, yeah, what they need to do differently. I think there's right. tons of power in that kind of shifting a little bit, but I think it's still really applicable to what we were talking about. Will you just talk to me about your thoughts on the importance of unique and sticky language to mm. learning? Yeah, I'll say it really quickly. You must have unique and sticky language or no one's going to want to learn what you're talking about. Uh, like, I mean, it, it's like a song lyric, right? I mean, people spend so much time and so much money to get that that line that song line so that people sing their song as a coach you want your players singing your song if they're not singing your song it's because your lyrics suck that's good yeah that's really good <laughs> really really honest too yeah, i think i think that's powerful you know i i've been challenged and some of it's been from my experience with pgc and working a course and observing a course of just mm -hmm. to make sure that I'm using words that mm -hmm. are memorable and sticky. Like you said that, right. that they stick, like your kids are going to use them. But then also something that I picked up from Doug Lamov that has been mm -hmm. super powerful for, for me is mm -hmm. he's, he talked to me about the importance of coining your own words or phrases yeah. so that you can control the definition. So, mm -hmm. you know, if, in your sport, there are probably these terms or phrases that every coach uses, but to create a different one, now you control the meaning of it. Whereas like yeah. your players may have heard this term and they think five different things because they've had five different coaches that talked about it in five different ways. But then if right. you just choose a different word or phrase and you say, no, this is what it means here. All of a sudden, yeah. like you said, like now we can, again, focus our learning more and make sure that if I, if I ask this question, I'm going to get 12 of the same answers. That's good. I, I really like that. Um, that's, I love Doug Lamar, but I don't remember reading that or hearing that. So I'm going I'm to take that. Thank you for teaching me that. Yeah, absolutely. Continuing kind of on the, on the vein of, of learning, I, I mentioned it. I've, I've worked a couple of PGC sessions, observed one, you know, one of the things mm -hmm. that I've been so blown away by in my, in my work with PGC is how they create such an environment of high standards and high intensity. 
and obviously you guys call it shaping the gym. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you just talk about a couple really practical tips? It's like, these are things we do when we're running a, a basketball session to make sure that we have high standards and high intensity. And mm-hmm. this is, the, yeah, the practical things you do in your coaching. Perfect. Yeah. Let me give three practical ones. And then I might have to get out of here as I actually have a, a stacked up one here. I got to jump to, um, here be three pr- practical things that I think coaches can use that we use at, in like a camp environment or a transformational leadership environment. Um, number one is demand spirit, demand spirit. And spirit is energy, passion, excitement, and zest. And you can get it specifically through high fives and lots of touches through using people's names and giving them encouragement. And if you're, you're going to get that, which you demand and few coaches demand spirit, but if you demand spirit, you'll find that spirit improves performance. Like it's worth points. And that's what I think uh, not enough coaches understand. Spirit improves performance. We're spending all this time trying to yell at them to run fast. Whereas if we just taught them how to generate spirit, they would run faster. So one spirit improves performance. Second thing, communication. The reason players don't communicate is because they don't know what to say or because there's no space to. So one of the most common is coaches say, hey, like my players aren't communicating enough. Well, you haven't shut up, coach. Like you've been screaming nonstop. There's no space for them to communicate. Um, And you say talk more. Well, they're not going to talk if they don't know what to say, which goes back to the language. Like, hey, and let's teach the read here. The objective is that we communicate with each other so we're on the same page. The read here is when you are one pass away from the ball to the left, you're saying, I'm in gap, I'm in gap. You got to teach them what to say, and then they'll talk more. That's the number one reason players don't talk. They have no clue what to say. And then the third one to, to kind of get a competitive environment is this. Measurement is magic track everything, have a leaderboard, celebrate winning. And, you know, whether it is how quick you come back from a, from a hydration break, or if it's a shooting ladder, or when you shoot free throws, you're always moving up and down the ladder and you have to challenge people um, above or below you. Like measurement is magic. When you measure something, it improves. Um, When you don't measure it and doesn't have your attention, it's unlikely to improve. Uh, But those three things teach spirit, Demand communication, measurement is magic, and you're going to have a more competitive and uh, exciting atmosphere in your practices. That's really good. Tyler, this has been been awesome. Super appreciate you joining me and yeah, spending time with me. Just tell people how they can connect with you and see all that you're doing with Savvy. Perfect, man. Well, well, Luke, first off, you ask great questions. And I think think this is going to be a great success. I'm going to encourage people to listen to this because I can already tell where your heart is and where your mind is um, to serve people and you do your research. So thank you for having me on. Um, if anybody wants to hook up with me, uh, my name is Tyler. I'm here to help you become a better coach and have more fun doing it. And uh, you can catch me directing PGC basketball sessions across North America. Um, but if you want me to help you become a better coach, just head to tylercoston.com or follow me at Tyler Coston on Twitter, T-Y-L-E-R-C-O-S-T-O-N. Um, and we'll try to make you a more savvy coach. Coaches, thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. And thanks again to Tyler Costin for coming on to the show. If you want to connect with Tyler, check out the show details for the links he mentioned. And as always, if you'd like to get a free PDF of the notes from this episode, you can go to coachesclubpod.com to download a free seven-page PDF of the notes from Tyler and I's conversation. 
And if you want to sign up for the free virtual book clubs covering the Coach's Guide to Teaching, go to cgtbookclubs.com to save your spot before they're gone. Thanks for listening to the Coaches Club podcast powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training.